Hello, this is Michael Martin, President and CEO of the National Wood Flooring Association, and you're listening to the Real Answers Podcast. Today, as always, is my cohort, Chris Zizza, out in Boston with CNR Floors. Chris, how are you today? I'm doing great. Pretty excited about today's guest because I know less about this topic and I need to know more. And well, so do you guys. Absolutely. Let's get right to it. Today's guest is Elizabeth Baldwin, and she's with Metropolitan Hardwood Flooring. We're going to talk about compliance today. So, Elizabeth, you're coming in in a couple of weeks here at NWFA, so let's tell people what you're going to be doing and, and what we should know about compliance. Ooh, that's a, that's a big-ticket question, isn't it? So I am Metropolitan's uh, Environmental Compliance Officer, so my role is to do my best to make sure we're doing it right. And one of Metropolitan's policies is that it's important to educate the industry that just one company doing things better isn't, isn't enough to really make a difference in the world. So I am being offered up by Metropolitan to go out there and teach anyone who's willing to listen. Um, and I am very excited because the NWFA and the IWPA, that's the International Wood Products Association, which are my two favorite industry associations, and they are both huge believers in the importance of education and training and, and, and knowledge growth, they've partnered up in some excellent compliance training. And yes, you've offered up St. Louis for us, uh, so I'm coming out there and I'm going to spend an entire week with you. I know, I've got several. You're looking forward to that, aren't you? I am. I've got several barbecue spots picked out for you. So, Elizabeth, a lot of times you hear me asking you, well, what, how does this matter to a contractor? And I'm not so much meaning just the contractor, but any of the small businesses out there within the supply chain that are selling product, bringing product in, what, what are the key points here that you're, that you're focused on that we all need to understand better so that not just we're in compliance, but I guess we're, we're making the industry better, we're doing the right things, you know, what's the focus? Big ticket question. Lots of answers to that one. <laughs> so I think, uh, I think from the government point of view or the regulatory point of view, uh, Lacey, which is dealing with illegal wood, and Tosca, sure. which is dealing with formaldehyde emissions, both of those are strict liability laws, which means you don't have to be the party that committed the, the crime or, you know, even knew about the, the problem, to be held responsible. The liability passes down the supply chain uh, with the product. So that's, you know, that's a strict liability. Now, does that mean the government's likely to go after a small contractor or a small retailer? Probably not, okay? But they could, you know, so you have to be aware of that. And beyond that, let's, let's take Tosca. Everyone, you know, out there is scared of formaldehyde. So let's say your supplier is involved in a Tosca violation. As the retailer, you're going to have all these people come into you. Where's a contractor who's installed the floor? And, you know, you're going to have all these people come to you and say, is your floor the dangerous floor? You remember what happened with the, you know, 60 Minutes report and how that just terrified the industry, right, and set chaos out across everything. So you want to have a clean supply chain. You want to have confidence that what you're selling is compliant so that when your customer comes to you when something blows up, you can say, hey, I've done my due diligence. I have confidence in my supply. Is there a stamp we're looking for? Is there uh, an, a, an approval, pat, you know, a, a data sheet? Or, so that's or a, no, we're, this is why we need to educate ourselves. So there are labels that are required that have to you know, move with the product through the system, and there are rules for labeling and rules for um, how those labels are presented and so forth. So you know, a retailer and a contractor can look to those labels. But 
what I think is more important is it's necessary for any anyone who's being a purchaser, be it the consumer, a retailer, a distributor, an importer, a manufacturer buying raw materials, whoever it is who's a consumer should be asking questions from their supplier, right? You're used to asking questions about, you know, quality conditions or pricing or timing of delivery, stock, warranty, all of these questions. Why aren't you asking questions about compliance? You should be at, have enough knowledge at least to feel secure that that company is doing their job, right? You don't have to do their job for them. You know, it's very difficult for a retailer to go backwards along the chain. You go back to the distributor, maybe to the importer, the manufacturer. That's a, a, a challenging thing, and you're not always even going to understand the answers that you get back. But you want to have confidence that you're buying from someone who does ask these questions and understands the answers, right, and is doing that work for you. There's a lot of companies out there who don't just don't do that work, all right? And you're not going to go out there and buy from someone who you feel has, you know, doesn't have a warranty that's going to support you. You know, that's part of your value proposition when you pick your supplier. Compliance should be part of your value proposition as well. So I like exactly what you just said, that last phrase, because as I'm sitting here listening to you, when, when I say, how does this affect the contractor, I'm always teaching you know, the, the contractors that are asking questions, I'm always saying, how do you set yourself aside from your competitor? And this is just a prime example because being educated on what you're discussing right now is a topic, you pointed it out, the 60 Minutes saga, what was it, two years ago? Um, it was it was big. And almost, I'd say for a few months, every estimate we went on, it was like the first question they asked, are you using safe products for my home? So being educated on this topic and being able to tell our customers that we're educated on the topic, there's your value. I like it. It's a, it's a huge value. Um, and b- making the smart choices so that if something does blow up, you can have a defense and you can, you know, you know that the companies that you're working with have that defense for you, right? That they've done the work. And this is true for Lacey. This is true for Tosca. This is true for a variety of things that people associate as not my responsibility, right? I'm not the importer. I'm not the manufacturer. These aren't my requirements, but people pick manufacturers based on, okay, their core doesn't delaminate or the finish doesn't peel off. Well, do they also have a program to make sure that their, you know, plywood is in Tosca compliance? Are they, do they have something to ensure that, you know, you don't have Russian birch on the top face now? You know, you have to do these, these things to make sure that you feel secure that you're purchasing from the right people. So I was just about to ask that question. You took the words right out <laughs> of my mouth. The, the, um, we, we do bring in uh, wood from Europe and, when it comes in uh, to one of our customers out in, in L.A., they have asked us to send them literature that proves that our Baltic birch is coming from the Baltic countries and not from Russia specifically. And not just they're not just looking for us to write a statement that said it doesn't. They are asking us to have backup documents that show that as well. Are you running into that more and more, obviously, since this war in Ukraine? Um, I've heard a lot about it. I've heard it, it happening to a, a number of, of companies. We've had some inquiries about it for sure. Okay. Um, but, you know, a lot of, in the case of Metropolitan and the fact that I'm rather well known in the industry for advocating compliance, uh, there's a little more, you know, 
I guess, confidence that hopefully we're doing it, you know, right the way we say we are. But I, I have, uh, I've talked to some other companies who are getting these kinds of inquiries, and certainly I've, I've had a few ourselves. In your case, you know, you, you have responsibility as an importer to understand your supply chain, and you've had that responsibility before the conflict, obviously. Knowing that you, where your material was coming from is an important part. You can't import it without declaring it properly under Lacey. You can't import it without, you know, making a, uh, a statement of Tosca compliance. Both of these, by the way, are actions that you're making these statements under, you know, sw- it's sworn testimony under perjury. If you're found to have made false statements for Lacey or Tosca as the importer, you've committed perjury. Right? These are not small things. This is one reason I spend a lot of time saying people who have primary businesses that are very well run and you know they're retailers, they're contractors, you know, they they should not be importing unless they run the import side of things as well as they run the other parts of their business. Because right? you have a lot and to lose by doing it wrong here. So one of the examples I use is suppose you're running a really successful restaurant, right? You've got great chefs and you're, you know, delivering terrific food. You've got a well-trained wait staff. The environment's, you know, and atmosphere is super. That's your expertise, right? Do you really want to be a farmer? Do you want to go out and raise the cattle? Do you want to have to deal with all the regulations for raising cattle and butchering cattle and dealing with cattle? I mean, find someone who gives you the really good steak you need and sell that steak, right? Don't go out there and try to also, you know, do other things that are outside your expertise. I like to eat. I go to good restaurants, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a great cook and I'm not trying to duplicate that. You know your skill set and stay with your skill sets and then respect professionals who have those other skill sets. Um, Just so our audience knows, when are you going to be here in St. Louis? I believe it's June 20th. So uh, you're getting to feed me barbecue starting on June 20th. That's a Monday. We're doing a two-day training package um, on Monday and Tuesday, and we're going to cover all the fundamentals of wood trade compliance. We're going to obviously deal a lot with Lacey Act and get into the due diligence. We're going to look at tools, risk assessment, risk mitigation, tracking your supply chain. There's going to be a lot on supply chain management. We're going to talk about custom concepts. We're going to get into SOPs. We're going to deal with the Lacey Declaration, the PPQ 505, and we're just going to try and give you all the tools necessary to build a basic uh, compliance program. Then on uh, Wednesday the 22nd, we're doing two half-day classes. The first one is uh, on designing and conducting audits. So that's kind of a fun one. We have a lot of exercises in there, and we've added a whole new section of tips and tricks where I've gone and surveyed a whole lot of compliance officers and gotten some of their best ideas on how to, you know, get a most successful audit or travel safely overseas. And then in the afternoon, we're going to do uh, FER compliance. That's F-E-R, which is formaldehyde emission regulations. And that includes, obviously, CARB and TOSCA and also the new Canadian regulation, CANFER. And then we're going to repeat the two-day on Thursday and Friday because we have so much interest that we're going to be able to, you know, do the, the primary ones twice. When you talk about the audits, you're talking about auditing for compliance or are you talking about full audits on a company? So when we talk about audits, we cover uh, generally the whole concept of audits. What is an audit, how they differ from, you know, supplier management in different ways, 
and we talk about different types of audits. And, you know, we, we include it. We touch on the fact that you can do a financial audit and, and that type of thing. Got it. But we're looking at social audits, uh, audits for formaldehyde, audits for uh, supply chain, inventory control, forest management. We, we touch on all different types of audits. And we talk about how to create an audit. Who is your team member, right? Where do you pull people from? What are requirements? What kind of skill sets? And then we have an, another module within that on corrective actions. How do you handle corrective actions? How do you write them up? And where does a corrective action lead to maybe need to talk to a lawyer versus, you know, just something you need to fix? You know, we talked a little bit at the beginning of the show about the smaller companies. But small company, big company, it's not necessarily a representative, you know, from the field that needs to be there as much as, you know, your purchasing person, whoever's doing the purchasing for your company needs to understand what we're discussing. That's that's kind of what I'm picking up. Am, am I accurate on that? It's somebody within your firm needs to understand where your liability rests. Sure. I, I think purchasing is a big part, for, particularly for smaller companies where they don't have the ability to assign someone exclusively to compliance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've taught... Everyone from mom and pops to the largest big box stores in the world. We've had lawyers, government officials, ENGOs uh, all take these classes. Uh, we've had huge range of uh, of the market: uh, manufacturers, overseas suppliers, you know, domestic log producers. Right? We've had loggers who are selling overseas figure out what they needed to support, for example, exports to Europe, who have their own EUTR, the European Union Timber Regulation, which is similar to our LACI. So we've taught a huge range, and we've had the executives in because the executives need to say, I need to devote resources to this. I need to figure out that Sam or Pete is the right person in my company to handle this, right? You know, so we've had the execs, we've had the buyers, we've had, you know, the quality control managers, we've had, you know, sometimes the QC or production people come in because they might be the ones going to the mill and they need to know what they have to look for in the inputs or in the labels. So it really depends on your company, who is the right person. One of the challenges of Lacey is that there is no actual standard in the sense of I can check off X, Y, and Z and be confident that I have now complied with Lacey and everything's good, right? There is no definition of Lacey Act compliance. But that's also one of the blessings in the sense that we're not going to mandate that the smallest company does the same as the largest company. You can design a program based around your resources, your risk assessment, your risk tolerance. You may have a very high risk tolerance and say, I feel pretty comfortable. I don't need to devote these resources. Or you may be incredibly sensitive. But we're trying to teach people the questions to ask and the concepts so that they can design the program that's right for them. I love it. Is there a website that has a lot of this info? So the IWPA has a uh, class website that gives the basic information. Um, The IWPA also has a course resource page which provides links to a tremendous amount of material uh, put out by the government, put out by uh, ENGOs, put out by uh, other governments. We have links to the Australian governments, the European government's material. There's a lot of material available. Just go there and start clicking through. Uh, the I've put quite a bit of stuff in the blog. I've been blogging for the NWFA for over 10 years now. 
I first did it in 2010, if I recall. So there are hundreds of blogs available, uh, archived, and occasionally when I'm when I'm able, still generating uh, new ones. There are blogs uh, on all of these issues available uh, on the NWFA website that will give people a lot of insight on just recently. I did in February and January questions for the smaller companies to ask their suppliers. So giving them tips about ways that they can just start that conversation with their suppliers. I like it. I have interest peaked. <laughs> Michael, what are you thinking? I think I may take all four days. Well, I know that I'm definitely flying in during that week. Um, that's a for sure. And I'm going to see how much of this that I can grab and educate myself. And, you know, like we've always said, be the best professional, grow your knowledge, be an example to your customer for why they want to hire you. I think, I think it's, it's so important. I can, I'll, talk about this and everything else, but obviously I can't, you know, change things. There are people out there who are going to misbehave, right? But it's part of the market to demand better behavior, right? They get away with this because people aren't asking questions because people are saying, oh, this is cheap. I'll take it, right? People need to demand better. I'm not asking everyone to create a compliance program or every company to have a compliance officer in the same level, but I want them to ask questions. I want it to be, as we said earlier, part of the value proposition, part of the fundamentals of determining who your supplier is. Who do you want in your supply chain? Do you want the good actors? Do you want the dabblers? We talked before about potential uh, costs of this, and I noted that I didn't think the government was going to come after somebody uh, you know, on the smaller side. But let's say you've got a, a bigger supplier and they do get in trouble. We, you have the reputational risk. You have the people calling you up and saying, is that floor going to kill my cat? Beyond that, you also suddenly have a supply problem. They may not be able to supply the material that they've contracted uh, with you. So now you've, now you've got shortages with your, with your customers. So that's a, that's a challenge, right? You have uh, other issues that will come down upon you, even if it isn't direct government enforcement. Loss of inventory, loss of time, loss of reputation. These are legitimate costs that aren't just, here's a, you know, send the government a check. Yep, I I agree. It's it's a hidden liability. Yeah, and it's the right thing to do, right? We're out there, we've got a tremendous product, right? Wood floors are wonderful. It's a great resource. We all know how much they add to the the value of the home, to the relaxation and appreciation of the environment of the home for the homeowners in there. It's wonderful stuff. So let's make sure we're doing it right on all levels. Good finishing, good installation, good quality, good sizes, good grading, you know, good good everything. And good compliance. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Michael, do you have anything to add for today's podcast? No, it's been really interesting. I've learned a lot, and I can't wait for the sessions that are coming up. And again, you can find those on IWPA.org or NWFA.org in our training schedules. Elizabeth, is there something that we want to make sure as a point that we want to get across today to the people that are listening? And then hopefully we get to pick up on that point uh, on the week of the 20th. What I'm saying, what I've said from the beginning is educate yourself and ask questions. Make informed choices, right? Figure out who you want to do business with. Make compliance part of your program. It's not necessarily, you know, the huge part for someone who's a smaller company, but it's still got to be a part, right? Don't work with bad actors. Demand better. 
Yeah, don't Demand don't hover better. over this. Don't hover over this point and think it doesn't matter to you because it, it. I'm I'm finding out pretty quickly here that it does matter to me, um, and and it's something we need to be aware of. So I like it. Educate yourself on what we're talking about, guys. And uh, if you want to come to the NWFA in St. Louis the week of June twentieth, I think you should. I really do. It would and be. I hope I see you there. It would be awesome. It would be awesome. And uh, anything else I can tell you? You know, a shout out to Metropolitan for, you know, uh, having me do this and let it, you know, encouraging me to do this. We just had our 30th anniversary and it was a, a wonderful time. And uh, we talked a lot about compliance there. We've got some really compliance educated salesmen. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm realizing that Metropolitan seems to be the leader in compliance where they have a compliance officer. So thank you for being the example. And I'm going to do what I can uh, to follow that lead. And Elizabeth, thank you very much for being on the show today. We do appreciate it. Keep it real, everybody. Be the best professional you can be. Have a great day and have a safe holiday weekend.